We're in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. Um, We'll look at a few of the scriptures that I'll be referencing, but not that many. And we're going to be starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, if you're looking to to get to that place. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you love us so much, that you will lead us into that way and into that place that brings great blessing even into our own lives. God, that we can't outgive you, we can't outbless you, but Lord, it comes with a, a sacrifice. There comes with a cost as we follow you. There are some expectations of transformation in our lives as we surrender them to you. Lord, as we look into the book of Ephesians and we see as Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus that he's addressing believers like us. And he's challenging them and encouraging them even as we need to be challenged and encouraged. So I pray that the words that I share this morning will challenge us, will build us up, strengthen us. Holy Spirit, use the word to accomplish your purpose in each one of our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you remember, a couple, three weeks ago, we started talking about the book of Ephesians, and I said the first three chapters dealt primarily with doctrine, where Paul was reminding them of the foundation that he had laid as he had been there three years teaching them. And then the next three chapters deal with more of the responsibility that we should have as believers. He says, because you are a child of God, because the promises of God are for you, because you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, there should be a response out of that kind of love that we would give back to our Father. And in starting in chapter 4, he started to lay it out, what it should look like, what it might look like to live as Christians. Now, if we're Christians, we should be able to look at the rest of this chapter and say, yeah, that's us. That's who we should be. That's who we want to be. Not because there's somebody holding a gun to your head and saying, you got to be this way or else. Most of us have had enough legalism, enough, enough religion. It's, this is the way we should lovingly respond to a God who loved us so much that he gave his son to die on a cross for us. Because he has done that, because his love fills us up, because the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us, This should be the natural response. And Paul's going to say, you can't and shouldn't be able to live or act any other way than this. But having said all that, I realize we're humans. And did you ever notice you mess up? We do mess up. So it's not perfection that we're looking for. It's not rules and regulations that we follow. It's a hard attitude to want to follow Jesus and to love Jesus and to live for him. And in Ephesians chapter 4, in the first 16 verses that we covered last week, he gave us five attitudes that we should have as Christians that would enable us to live in the kind of unity that he wants us to. And those five attitudes started in 4 verse 2. It says humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing one another in love, and then being diligent. Because this doesn't come easy. We have to work at it. And he says, you know what? We are already in unity as Christians. Our job is to maintain the unity. And why are we in unity? And he gives us the basis for the unity. If you remember last week, I just called them the the seven ones. Because there is one body, one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God the Father. 
because of that unity and that God lives in us as the Holy Spirit, there is unity. We mess it up. Or we're diligent and we maintain the unity. And Paul is going to expound on all of that. So if you look at the rest of this chapter and the rest of the, the book of Ephesians, because we're going to finish this morning this book. Sometimes when you read just fragments of it, you, you can easily forget the overriding theme, the overriding message. And really, I'm going to just offer this as the overriding message for the rest of the book. The body of Christ, unity in love. The body of Christ in unity and in love. And he's going to specifically address different parts of our lives as individuals and as a church. But he, gets, he messes with us a little bit. He's going to tell you a little bit about marriages. He's going to tell you a little bit about raising your kids. He's going to tell you a little bit about the bad habits you have or used to have. And he's going to kind of put his finger right out there in our chest and say, you know, yeah, it shouldn't be this way. And these are some of the things that you should do. Notice if you have your Bibles open, in Ephesians 4, verse 17, it begins with another one of Paul's therefores. And he does this throughout the book, connecting thoughts. Because of this unity that we have, because we have been given the, the fivefold ministry gifts, the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist, to build us up and strengthen us to do the, do the ministry, he says because of all this, there should be a response. And he starts out in verses 17 through 19, and I think I'll go ahead and read those. Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 19. This I say, therefore, and affirm or testify together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Who are the Gentiles? The unbelievers. So you can just put the word unbelievers in there if you would like. If you're not a believer, this is you. If you are a believer, this is what you were. Okay, He says, you shouldn't walk like the Gentiles anymore in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness in their heart. And they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Boy, you could elaborate on that a lot. I'm going to just mention a few things. We're to walk worthy of our calling. You are called as a child of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And as you go, you're an ambassador of Christ. We should walk in a way that's worthy of that calling. We should walk in such a way that we wouldn't be embarrassed to tell somebody we're living our life for Jesus. And they wouldn't be able to look at us and say, oh, really? That's what it looks like? Then I must be living the same life because you do what I do. He's saying, how do they walk? Empty-minded. They walk empty-minded. Their understanding is darkened. They're ignorant because they do not have the life of God in them. They do not have the mind of Christ. He says that's how they walk, in the futility of their mind, excluded from the life of God. Because of that, there's a hardness of their heart. Their heart is hardened to the things of God. He says because there's this ignorance, their heart is hardened, And because of that, they have no revelation of God whatsoever. That's the unbeliever. And unless the Holy Spirit moves on them and woos them and draws them, that's where we would have all been. And we'd have all stayed there. Then he goes on and says, they give themselves over to sensuality. 
What does that mean? Well, basically it means this. They give themselves over whatever the flesh wants. And then it goes on and says, as much as they want. Or in other words, they're greedy. Think about this. Greedy for the practice of every kind of impurity. I mean, if you read that just in passing, you think, well, they're greedy. They want money just like the rest of us. No, it says they are greedy for the practice of every type of impurity. They want. It's, it's a driving motivation. They're greedy to sin, to satisfy the lust of their flesh. And then he goes on and he says in verse 20, thank goodness he does. There comes a but that's a good one. But you did not learn Christ this way. In other words, he's being very polite and he's saying, you know better. This is what the unbeliever lives like, but you guys know better. We know better. We have a, the mind of Christ, a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The potential is there. It's all been deposited in us by the Holy Spirit, by the work of Christ. He's saying, you guys know better. And then he gives them a little bit of a challenge. He says, if you've heard of him, and if you've been taught about him, then you know what your former lifestyle was like and what your lifestyle today should be. In other words, he's saying, you know better because you've been taught about Jesus. Some by him, but about him. We have been taught the truths of Jesus. We have them in the word of God. You know, really, we just don't have an excuse other than we want to sin more than we want to live for Jesus. You believe that? We don't think of it that way too often, do we? But if we know the truth and we choose to ignore it, that we're saying this, you know what, I'd rather sin than follow what Jesus wants me to do. I want to feed my flesh. We can be greedy to feed our flesh just as the unbelievers are if we're not aware of what's going on. And then he goes into three verses, 22, 23, and 24, that you may have heard teachings on this many times. I don't know if you've been in church a lot or, or went to evangelistic outreaches. But he's talking about put off, renew, and put on. He says put off in verse 22 or lay aside your old self. How do you do that? Wouldn't it be nice if we just had a zipper that went from head to toe? And we could unzip that thing and throw it in a fire and burn it up? Boy, I wish it would be that easy. What does it mean to put off the old self? Put off that old person you used to be, that unbeliever that used to be, that person that was sinning, the mind was unrenewed. Here's the best I can come up with. We need to renounce it, repent of it, and don't go pick it up. When he says, put it aside... I am a sinner. I have done all those things. I am guilty, but thank you, Jesus, that I am not condemned. I take that and I put it over there and it's dead. I declare it's dead. I renounce it as dead. Now we'll just leave him laying over there for a minute. And then we'll go do CPR. We've all done that. So he says, put it off, lay it aside, renounce it, declare it dead, and then it says, renewed in our spirit of our mind. We're renewed. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. The, the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit moved in and said, this is now the temple of God. And we have the Word of God. 
that renews our mind. But we need to read it so we can renew it. The Holy Spirit will take the Word, renew our mind. What does renewing our mind do? It changes the way we think. Remember when it said you were an unbeliever? The futility of your mind. The ignorance that we had. Boy, there's nothing more frustrating than to to be a Christian and still stay ignorant. We don't know the Word. We don't read the Word. We don't study the Word. And then we go to somebody to counsel us and tell us, fix my problems. And someone who's a wise counselor says, well, you know this and this and this, maybe they need to go out of your life. No, I didn't come for you to change my life. I just want you to make me feel better. That's not what being a Christian is. That's not what being a follower of Christ is. You want to feel better? You want to be blessed? You want to have joy, peace, hope that the world can't destroy, circumstances can't affect? Live for Christ. Read the Word. Get it in you. Let it become who you are, the way your mind thinks. That's what it's saying. Kill it. Lay it over there. Call it dead. Now start renewing your mind. I guarantee you, this is an amazing thing. You ever looked at someone and said, boy, I wish they'd just grow up. They are so immature. They're 48 years old and they still act like they did when they were 16. That's my father speaking to me. Here's a great thing about the Word of God. I guarantee you, the more time you spend in it, reading it, studying it, and praying over it, and meditating on it, the quicker you will mature. You don't have to wait five years or ten years or twenty years. Man, you can pass anybody in this room if you want to spend the time in the Word of God. You don't have to wait. And then it says, put on the new man. Who's the new man? It's the new man who walks in the renewing of their mind. Who walks in holiness and righteousness to the best of their ability. Again, realizing we're not perfect. We mess up. But we're not greedily lusting after the sins of the flesh. When we mess up and the Holy Spirit speaks, "Uh uh-oh, Mike, you blew it. Our immediate response is, Lord, you're right, I did. Please forgive me. I repent. So we want to leave that old man over there dead instead of go over there and start pumping his heart and blowing into him as fast as we can, see if we can't get a life in a little bit in him so we can go back and satisfy the lust of our flesh. If he's dead, he's dead. Let him lay there. Put on the new man. And then he says a whole bunch of things in verses 25 to 32 that we should be living out. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on either any of them, but he says, speak truth. In other words, don't lie, don't deceive, don't tell half-truths. Don't go about embellishing the truth. We have all ways of dancing around that. I didn't lie, I just embellished a little. I didn't lie, I just left out a few details. He's saying, brothers and sisters, to maintain unity, tell the truth. He says, be angry and do not sin. How many of you know anger is a gift from God? If it's an emotion that we have as human beings, where did it come from? It's a gift from God. But don't sin. Don't sin in your anger. Don't get bitter. Don't want revenge. Don't act upon that anger. You know, it should make us angry when we see things going on in the world that do not glorify God. We should get angry when we we are living in such a way that we know isn't glorifying God. But we can't go to sin. 
And I think there's a strong caution here because how many of you know it's tough to be angry and not sin? Can you believe the things that come out of your mouth when you get mad? And then you've got to spend the next week trying to kiss up to whoever you just said all that to. Oh, if we could just... Con- but be angry, do not sin. Work at not getting angry would be a good idea. Don't give the devil a place. I think it follows the anger issue very appropriately. You know what? When we open the door... Satan is no gentleman. He comes barging in and he will take every place that he can. He'll come with lies and accusations, enticements, all of these things. Don't give him a place. Don't give him anything to use. He says, do not steal. Work at that which is good and beneficial to others so you can share with those in need. How many of you know that's the motivation you, for why you work? Probably most of us don't go there right away. He's saying work. And you could make a whole teaching on that verse where it talks about work at that which is good and beneficial to others. Now, it's not my job to be the Holy Spirit and police you. But that's a challenging phrase to me. Are there jobs that maybe we as Christians shouldn't do if they're not good and beneficial to others? I think it's something we need to pray about and know the mind of the Lord on. Because I believe there certainly are. Watch your mouth and control your tongue. Speak to edify. Speak to give grace. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who has sealed you to the day of redemption. We want to live in a way that brings glory and honor to God. Not in a way that would grieve the Holy Spirit. Put away bitterness, put away wrath, put away anger, put away loud noises, put away slander, put away your backbiting and your gossip, put it all away. How are we doing so far on this list? I told you, he just gets his finger right in your chest, doesn't he? And says, you guys, put away all evil. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving. Christ is our example. We need to forgive as he forgave us. Boy, you look at those verses in 25 through 32, and I look at it and go, well, I'm not doing so good in a few of them. But when I look at them also, I would say, boy, would I like to hang around people who do really well with all of those things. And remember the overriding theme, unity and love. When those things start creeping in, unity just starts to vanish. It disappears. And then he goes into chapter 5 with another therefore. He says, therefore, because of all this stuff that I've just spoke about, now be imitators of God. Doesn't ask for much, does he? Be imitators of God. In other words, be like him. Be completely committed followers of Christ is what he's saying. Live your life in such a way that you walk in love, walk in sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. I think that's one of the things that really defines real love. Is it sacrificial? Do you have to lay down things in your life because you love someone? Christ loved us. He laid down his life for us. Be imitators of Christ. I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 3 through 11, and I'm going to try to resist expounding on it. It says this, But among you, there must not be a hint 
of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such thing God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Boy, there's some powerful words there. Don't let fornication or any impurity or greed even be talked about among you, much less participated in. He says, don't even give the world a reason to point at you and accuse you of such things. Boy, in our culture, with all the sexual stuff that's out there everywhere, it is so easy to slip into just off-color jokes or, 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 or remarks that are just a little bit impure, leading in somewhere that we shouldn't let our minds to go. He said, don't even do that. Don't even give someone the opportunity to accuse you of being like that. No filthiness. Watch your mouth, he says. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. Brings to mind, out of the mouth the heart speaketh. And he goes, give thanks in all things. Don't you be deceived. Don't be partakers with them. You know, we're to be out in the world, but we're not to be like the world. It's easy to succumb to peer pressure. He's saying, don't be deceived. Don't be partakers with them. You were these things, but you're not anymore. Darkness. Now you're light in Christ. You are children of the light. Boy, Paul is just exhorting them and exhorting us. And then he says, learn and do what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, we really have no excuses. If we're a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit living in us who will convict us of sin. We have the Bible, which is the Word of God, that will teach us how we should live. We go to church, we've got books, we've got Christian radio, we've got Christian television. We really don't have any excuse to say, gee, I didn't know that. But you know, we get in all of these silly discussions about what we can or cannot do as Christians. You ever had one of those? Is it okay for me to do this? Is it okay to do that? Can I watch this? How many drinks can I have before? Whoops, I crossed. uh, We go on and on and we have all these silly discussions. The problem is simply we focus way too much on how much we think we can get by with before we offend God instead of worrying about what we need to do to bring Him glory. If we would change our mindset to that attitude, we wouldn't have those silly discussions. Is this okay? Does it bring glory to God? Easy, isn't it? And he's saying, you have a renewed mind. It's that easy for all of us. And then he goes into verses 11 through 16. And I'm going to just paraphrase them quickly. Do not have fellowship with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, 
notice he's not saying don't fellowship with unbelievers. We're going to be out there. We're going to connect with unbelievers, but don't be fellowshipping with their fruits of darkness. In other words, don't be participating in the stuff they do. Don't be doing what they do. It's easy to think that we're ministering to them if we all of a sudden started into doing the same thing they're doing. Paul's saying, don't do this, church. And remember, he's talking to the church when he's saying all these things. He says, instead of that, instead of that, expose them by your lifestyle. Boy, their sins, our sins, will be found out. Paul says that. It will be brought to the light eventually. It will be brought to the light. He says, live a godly lifestyle. You ever been around, you know, how many, how many of us can't remember when we first got saved? If all of a sudden our life was transformed and began to change, all of a sudden we had some people that didn't really want to hang with us quite as much. And when they did, it was, oh, come on. This won't hurt her. That won't hurt her. Take a little. Come on. And before long, they wanted nothing to do with you. Why? Because your lifestyle was convicting them of sin. You were being light in a dark place. And they're either going to come to that place of conviction, repentance, conversion, or they're going to flee from you. He's saying, let your life be like that. That you can... Be exposing the life. And boy, he stresses, if you read these verses, he stresses, be careful, be wise, be cautious. He says, redeem the time because it's evil out there. Just think, he wrote this 2,000 years ago. How relevant is it for the church today? Be careful out there. Redeem the time because the days are evil. What's that mean to redeem the time? Don't be messing around. Live a life that shows Jesus to the world. Live a life so that when they say, what is it about you? You can say, let me tell you about Jesus. What an opportunity when we live that kind of life. And then he goes on in verse 18. <clears throat> and those of you that know me know I have a pet peeve or two. And this is one of them. So I promise I won't elaborate. Do not get drunk on wine for this leads to debauchery. The word debauchery means wasting or by misuse, shameless, reckless, wasteful, squander. I just want to say this. Whether it's wine, beer, or hard liquor, it's all alcohol. Alcohol is poison. It will kill you. So how much should you drink before it starts to kill you? It's all poison. Notice he doesn't say, be careful of strong drink. It's wine. We have this idea, somehow or other as Christians, Wine's different. Wine doesn't hurt you. Wine doesn't. Alcohol does. It's poison. It will kill you. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Go ahead and say amen if you want. (laughs) He goes on. And in the rest of the book, he deals with some really practical things. Remember, unity's the theme? He deals with marriage. Think of it this way. Maybe you've never thought of it this way. You want marriage to work? God has a divine order. He says, Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Put your trust and confidence in the Lord. He has given you this man as your husband. Submit unto him as unto the Lord. And then he says to the husband, You love your wife sacrificially like Christ loved the church. If you both do that, there will be unity in that marriage like you've never experienced before. 
Submitting to someone who loves you sacrificially is easy. Loving someone sacrificially who submits to you is easy. When other, one or the other breaks down, it's painful. And this is what the Lord says. You want to be in unity? Here's my simple formula. And then he goes on and says, well, now that I've messed with your marriage, he says, I'm going to mess with your child rearing. And he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not frustrate them to the point that they get mad and angry. Don't do that. And he says, oh yeah, by the way, kids, obey your parents. Honor your father and your mother. You want to have unity in the home. Put into practice these simple things that the Lord says through Paul. Don't exasperate your children. Discipline in love. Correct in love. Rebuke in love. Not in wrath, not in anger. And if kids obey their parents, it all works and there's unity in the home. And then when he said all of this stuff, he says, finally be strong in the strength of the Lord because everything I've just told you is really, really hard. Really hard. He says, as a matter of fact, it's warfare. And as a matter of fact, there's an enemy out there who's going to try to get you to do everything I just told you not to do, and he's going to try to get you to not do everything I just told you to do. We have an enemy named Satan. And he's a spiritual enemy. He's saying he's no dummy. He doesn't come to you with some repulsive thoughts and repulsive ideas. He comes to you with it and tantalizes you. He comes very sneakily to, to kind of just suck you in. He's, Paul's warning him. He says, there's an enemy. Don't let your guard down. Stand, stand firm. Stand strong in the Lord. And this enemy, he wants to come and destroy your life. He wants to destroy unity in the family. He wants to destroy the marriage. He wants to destroy the church. And he's going to do this with very seductive lies. Half-truths. He's going to come and deceive this is his plan. He wants to entice you. Oh, that little bit won't hurt. I watched that. That's okay. Well, it's not really a very big lie. It's just a little white lie. And all of these things, he's trying to entice us and to ensnare us. And, and before long, we're trapped. You know, it's like heroin. I can try it once. I'll be Okay. Try it twice. Maybe it's meth. Whatever your drug of choice is. You know what? doesn't matter how much fun it looked. Before long, it controls you and you don't control it. And this is what Paul's saying. You've got to be careful. There's an enemy out there. He's a spiritual enemy. He's good at what he does. And if you're not careful, he'll control you. Instead of you living your life surrendered to God, you're going to be living your life back in that prison that Satan wants to trap you in. And remember, he's telling this to Christians. We are not immune. And he says, because it's a spiritual war, because we're not fighting against flesh and blood, you need spiritual weapons. And then he goes on, and, and starting in verse, whatever it is, 10. Ephesians 6, 10. I think I'll go ahead and read that, Elodie. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God. Notice it's God's armor. 
Satan can't handle God's armor. He might destroy you and me with ours, but not God's. He says, put on God's armor that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For a struggle is not flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. If for some reason or other you have been taught that the devil isn't real and there aren't demonic spirits and there aren't evil spirits, that's not true. There are. There are, and they have one goal, steal, kill, destroy. That's their goal. And Paul's saying, that's why you need this. He says, so take up the full armor of God that you might be able to resist in this evil day. And having done everything to do, stand firm. In other words, abide, remain. The attack might keep coming. It might keep coming. You just stand there. Abide and remain. And what is it he tells you to do? Stand firm, therefore, having your loins girded with truth. What's the truth? Word of God. The lying, deceiving devil comes with an accusation and he throws a lie at you. Do what Jesus did in the wilderness. Quote some scripture at him. You're a loser. No, I am not. I am created in the image of Christ and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Oh. Kind of takes a little bit of the power out of that lie, doesn't it? You're so alone. No one likes you. No one's ever going to hang with you. You don't have a friend in the world. Jesus said, I will hold you closer than a friend. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always till the ends of the earth. Oh yeah, that's right. The devil's defeated. We need the truth. He says, get the truth in you. Then he says, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers my heart. Kind of an organ that I need to be working. The breastplate of righteousness. Live a godly life led by the Holy Spirit. He says then, have your, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Wouldn't it be nice to walk in peace? Every day, no matter what comes. He's saying, you know what? Make sure the gospel. The, what's the gospel? I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. I'm no longer condemned because he died in my place. If I accept his offer of salvation and surrender my life to Him, and choose to live for Him, repent of my sins, turn away from it, ha, whatever else comes my way is really not a big deal. The gospel of peace. And then he says, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith. In addition to all, in other words, with all these other things, you'd need the shield of faith. And I love what it says in my translation, the shield of faith which will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. You ever feel like you're under attack? Man, it's like mortar shells are landing all around you and you're just waiting for one to blow you away. And it's just got that shield of faith. You believe what the Word of God says? Will you stand by faith? Will you trust the promises of God? And he says it will extinguish every single one of those missiles. Every one of them. They might make a lot of noise, but they're not going to hurt you and me. Then he goes on and says, the helmet of salvation. Cover that head. Salvation. The Word of God. Redeem it. Renew it. The helmet of salvation. Then take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did I get them all? Did I miss one? Shield of faith. Helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit. Got them all, didn't we? How many of you get tired of getting your butt kicked by the devil? 
Wouldn't you love to have a weapon you could just take and cut them to shreds? You do. Here it is. How many of you know you get in a fight with a great big animal, whether it's a bear, a lion, or tiger, and you got this great big gun and really sharp knife, but they're at home, you're toast. You're supper. Christians, you want to win? Read the Word. Learn the Word. Put me out of counseling. Thank you, Lord. That was a prayer. Seriously, we're to counsel. But you know what? We have been given a weapon. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that will cut him to shreds. He cannot withstand the Word of God. If he keeps coming at you in a certain area of your life, man, find a scripture to ask a brother and sister. I'm struggling with this. What scripture can you give me? Learn that scripture. Every time the thought comes, speak that scripture out loud. Speak it out loud. He comes with guilt or shame. Have a scripture ready and just nail it right now out loud so he can hear it. Whatever it is. You don't need to memorize the whole book. It's nice, but I don't know anybody who has. But memorize those scriptures that will really give you a sharp sword in those areas of your life where you keep succumbing. And he closes that all by saying, pray at all times in the Spirit. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. Now this should be an exciting chapter, exciting book. But you know, even in all those powerful things, we have to realize we got to be alert. We got to be continually prayed up. We got to be continually be praying for one another. We have to be alert, be watchmen all the time. The book of Ephesians. Our identity in Christ, we are children of God. Our position in Christ, we are seated with him in heavenly places. We have the authority of Jesus and that name of Jesus, who, all that that implies. We are called to walk in love and we're called to walk in unity. It's tough to be defeated when we walk in love and we walk in unity. And we're to live a lifestyle that brings God the glory. Not continually seeing how far, close we can get to the cliff before we fall off. And then we need to put on the armor. Because as soon as we make this choice to live a lifestyle to bring glory and honor to God, the enemy is going to come at you with everything he's got. Just think how frustrating it must be to Satan when you lift up the shield of faith. And you just totally destroy and put out every single missile that he shoots at you. All right. We're done with that. If you haven't signed up to be in a life group for the not a fan, please do. It's a sign-up sheet out there. Let's pray and bless the meal. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. I pray you would take the words, God, from your word. Lord, I pray that you would use them how you would like. Father, whatever was in my flesh, just throw them away, get rid of them. Let them fall to the floor. God, we ask now that you would bless our week. Lord, we pray you would bless this food. We bless those who have prepared it for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Greet one another, and we encourage you all to stick around for lunch.